History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 72, cutting corners in Cabo Verde during 1990 to 1995. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else there are going to be spoilers ahead. Well, I, I could do green milk to push, but I can't do red milk. Hello, my name is Ryan Weir and I'm here in the HHE studio with the acquiescence to my subversion. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. I'm the acquiescence this week, am I? Yeah, <laughs> you follow the lead, you abide by the rules. But you're a, a rebel, a rapscallion, you might say. And I would. <laughs> And we are joined as ever by the dynamic dreamer of destiny. It's the judge himself. It's Mr. Paul Dursley. Good evening. Good evening, judge. <laughs> now, Peter, I thought I would save some time this week by listening to the episode on double speed, but now I can't really recall anything you told us about. So would you mind reminding me in, let's say, I don't know, 60 seconds? Well, if you're going to cut corners like that, you are going to expect to forget me. Yes, I can do that. When would you like me to start? Do it now! We travelled to the Atlantic, to the archipelago of islands known as Cabo Verde, aka Cape Verde. We discovered the island's interesting connection to American whaling, and learnt their history that cut corners and skipped early man entirely, going straight to Europeans arriving. We learnt the story of the independence movement led by Amilcar Cabral, and we discovered the music of the islands, including Morna, as sung by Cesaria Evora, and the subversive Funana, performed to this day by bands including our new friends Grupo Pilon. As for cutting corners, well, uh, we don't need to talk about that. week's episode done summarized nicely nice one son now we're over to a young dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of the he'll take you apart without any care he's the lovely paul dursley the lovely paul dursley ah yes <laughs> i remember now <laughs> yes <laughs> But what a treat you did lay on, though, Pete. There was politics, there was music, there was magma bothering. But my opinion matters naught because we are here today for the opinion of just one man, Judge Dursley. So, Paul, before we convene the court and receive your final ruling, please, will you give us your first impressions of episode 72? Uh, I think Macronesia is a... An interesting set of islands. Oh, Macronesia. Yes. It's one of those things that you don't really know about, because you know of Micronesia, Melanesia, Polynesia, which are all in the Pacific. I have heard of all of those. Yeah. Well, Madeira, the Azores, the Canary Islands, that sort of whole group of islands is given the name Macronesia. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I'm fascinated by Cape Verde. It's one of these places that I sort of know the name of and I'm sort of aware of it, but I don't really know why. And having listened to the episode, I still don't really know why I knew about it. But uh, for some reason, Cape Verde is familiar to me. Yes, it is one of those things that you sort of you hear about, like Cape Verde, I suppose Cape Finisterre and, uh, and various places like that. The Bay of Fundy, that's another one that I always like. For me, it's one of those places that you hear the name. And for me, my brain had made various associations. 
Indians. But they were all made up. They were totally I just because the name Cape Verde, you think verdant mm. and green. So I'd kind of made it luscious and jungly in my head, uh, which it isn't particularly. Some bits of it are green, but it's quite volcanic and arid in some areas. I assumed it was because it was a cape, I'd put it inland somewhere. But the more I thought about it, the more I just didn't have anything other than totally made up weird associations to it. Right, exactly. But I'll tell you what, I'm genuinely interested in going. It looks fantastic. I think it's kind of an overlooked nation in terms of tourism because I kept looking thinking, surely there's a lot of tourism there. Surely they're reliant on tourism. But um, there is tourism and I frankly would highly encourage anyone to go because it sounds absolutely wonderful and it looks beautiful. But... uh, you know, so you're encouraging to... tourists to go to destroy the place, are you? Well, I'm for the economy, I'm encouraging tourists to go in a respectful manner. Well, I was looking up to see how I could get to Cape Verde. And by commercial airliner from London, it's five hours and 30 minutes, which is actually is not, not that too bad. far. It's not direct, though, is it? Is it via, via Lisbon? There is a direct flight. so Because oh. then I thought, well, what's the quickest way of me getting there, right? What's a shortcut <laughs> <laughs> to get there. And uh, I thought, well, if, if money was no object, maybe I could hire like a fighter jet. So I could get a fighter jet from London to Cape Verde. That would take me around about four and a half hours. However, I'm advised that because of the weapons that it carries, it would probably still take around about the same amount of time. So yeah. I'm going to just save my money and fly commercial. I say don't give up. Decommissioned fighter jets, not carrying all the weapons and ammo, probably could uh, hack it. But I don't think all three of us could get in it. Well, you could hire a private jet. Yeah, I just thought a fighter jet might be faster. But the, the problem with uh, fast fighter jets is they don't go fast for very long. They only go fast yep. when they need to. Because uh, that was the interesting factoid, wasn't it? About Each individual plane has flown more hours supersonic than all of the fighter jets ever made. What, really? Yeah, because what with, with with the Concorde, what happened is they pushed the levers forward and it flew at you know Mach two for three hours. Whereas most fighter jets fly at Mach two for a matter of minutes, ten minutes at most, and then they'll slow down and and do whatever. I guess wow. if you haven't won a dogfight in ten minutes, then just go home. Yeah, because uh, actually speed is not good for a dogfight, is it? You need to slow down to the speed of the other plane. I don't know. I've seen Top Gun, and he goes pretty fast in that. So facts. <laughs> and Tom Cruise is seven <laughs> foot tall. <laughs> right. Next section. So, Peter, talking of cutting corners... I'd rather we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we're going to get to that later. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I was curious to see whether or not there really was anything to do with cutting corners in Cape Verde. And I I really couldn't find anything either, so I I don't blame you for the direction that you took. But I thought, like, to cut corners in Cape Verde, right, to cut something, you need blades. You need scissors, right? Oh, yeah. I I mean, yeah, okay. (laughs) I think... I love what you're doing here, Ryan, but I'm... (laughs) actually increasingly comfortable with my approach. Well, I looked it up, and according to the United Nations, in 2022, Cape Verde paid China 17,000 US dollars to import scissors and blades to the islands. So some people were cutting some corners, which is, however, considerably more than they paid Russia the year before in 2021. They paid them just 11 US dollars for scissors (laughs) and blades. (laughs) That was their sum total. (laughs) What is that, like two 
people needed scissors. Is that <laughs> Who's even reporting on that? Yeah. But also, talking of shortcuts on the island, I then found a book called Folklore of the Cape Verde Islanders. This was written in 1921. And within it were some traditional methods for cutting corners. So I know it's not your time period or anything, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. So as an example, if a woman wants to get pregnant by a certain man, rather than simply wooing him and going the usual route of dating and such, she is advised that she should just wear his shoes. And if that doesn't work, also wear his coat. So hang on, what's the theory there? That by wearing his shoes, he will fall for her? Or by wearing his shoes, she will become magically pregnant and without having to do the courtship dance? I think you're trying to find some logic in (laughs) something that clearly does not have any logic, but that is the advice. So I think there's some wisdom to that because... I think if someone took my shoes, I would approach them and say, you've got my shoes. And that would be an icebreaker of sorts, wouldn't it? (laughs) It is an icebreaker. Will you please stop wearing my clothes? You've taken my coat again. Can I have it back? (laughs) And then suddenly you're in chatting and then you're married and you have children and bingo, it works. Uh, Another shortcut, if you want to avoid giving birth uh, to a child with a humpback, is you should take... you say that like that was a big problem in the island. <laughs> well, they, they, they may be quite inbred, island populations, you know. Yeah, according to the book, they actually didn't like intermixing with people off the islands. So yeah, that may well actually have been a reason. But yes, anyway, so to avoid giving birth to a child with a humpback, you should take one of your existing children and burn their back with an oil-soaked cotton. Okay, so how do you make your first child not a hunchback? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> uh, shortcut here, another cutting corner. If you want to kill someone without getting your hands dirty, a good shortcut to doing it is to take the soil from one of their footprints, boil it, then throw it over a cliff, because soon that person will fall over a cliff. But a footprint, is, I'm sorry, but a footprint is a void. So you can't boil whatever's in a void. There's nothing there. Well, the footprint is the dirt, isn't it? Does the footprint count if you're wearing the shoes of someone you intend to get pregnant by? <laughs> well, that's where there is a flaw, because you don't know who he's going to end up. There's going to be some horny lady jumping off a cliff. <laughs> So alternatively, if you want to bring some good luck for yourself, you simply need to go and get some beans. And what you do with these beans is you place them delicately in the eye holes, mouth and anus of a dead black cat and then bury it. And if you do that, you're going to get super good luck in pretty much every way. It's quite difficult to keep them in. You must have to push them in quite far. (laughs) You've got to be really in need of luck to be shoving beans up a dead cat's bum, haven't you? Let's be honest. You've got to be feeling unlucky to think this is the solution to my woes. I've heard of the dead cat bounce, but that's a new one on me. On the other hand, (laughs) pop it in a pot and you've got a stew going on. And finally, and well, this isn't really a cutting corner related, but I had to tell it anyway, because I just like it. So on Easter mornings, the tradition is that at about 4am, a fig tree is planted on one side of the church. On the tree is hung a straw-filled figure of Judas. A cigar is put in Judas's mouth and a bomb strapped to his chest. (laughs) About noon, when the people leave the church in procession, the bomb fuse is lit by the cigar in Judas's mouth and short Shortly thereafter, the bomb explodes. What's left of the tree and of Judas is then roped up with a noose, dragged by the men down to the beach, where it's then beaten and drowned. After that, they put it on a donkey and parade it around town, whipping it with vines before finally tying it down and burning it. 
I absolutely love that. That has got such a range of specific and weird things involved. Plus, it's elaborate <laughs> as all heck. I love that. What a, I want to do that. I'm getting into this. Let's do that next year in Croydon, town centre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be considered the oddest people in Croydon as well if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could catch on. The Judas Bomb. Oh, it's Judas Bomb weekend in Croydon. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Cutting corners for you. I love it. So, Ryan, I have some extra intel for you because you raised something that I found very interesting in the episode. Was it being chased by lots of people down a street? It wasn't, although I, I would be part of that crowd of people chasing you down the street. No, it was your desire to poke lava with a stick. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, it's like that childish thing, isn't it? You find a jellyfish on the beach or whatever, you just grab a stick, you want to poke it. Right. But I too feel the need to poke lava with a stick, Ryan. Uh, so I did say maybe there are lava poking tours. So I went online and I found, <laughs> not lava poking tours in fairness, but I found a page about the nation of Hawaii, which as we know is a bunch of volcanic islands. And yeah. the page was entitled Fun with Lava. Yeah, okay. I'm in. One of the very first things it says is the basics bring a stick no <laughs> for real it does it says sticking it into the lava flow is fascinating to see how thick and taffy like the flow is uh, some people think it's like water and it can be but most of the time it's like molasses uh so <laughs> so you can poke holes in the lava with your stick and slowly watch the lava refill the hole uh and if the stick is still a bit green apparently if you yam it in your lava it will result in the stick making a screaming noise as steam is forced from the wood I mean, that's double fun. Screaming stick. But <laughs> what this really revealed to me, Ryan, was the, the limits of your ambition, because this page, this was just the starter for 10 on this page. So they also said, uh, don't take anything away from you. So in Hawaii, there's a kind of... Wait, um, don't take any lava away with you. <laughs> well, yeah, cooled lava in this case. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they say it will result in misfortune. And I guess this, this I don't know, myth, legend, story actually means a lot of people bring lava back to the islands and give it back because they think it's given them misfortune. But but the other things they said you could do with lava, which really exposes how small-minded our thinking was, was number one, throwing things. Apparently it's rubbish to throw things on lava because it just sits on top and gets carried along with the flow and nothing interesting happens. You can also apparently make an offering to the gods. So what they say is if you've got some cigarettes or gin, which apparently the gods love particularly, you pop it in the path of the lava and the lava will either consume and accept your offering or it won't. It'll go bypass your offering and you get nothing. Huh. And uh, you can't get it back either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big risk for a packet of cigarettes, isn't it? Yeah. You can also apparently make lava sculptures and the items they recommend you do this with are special gloves that are made of spun glass and Kevlar, which are apparently good up to about two. 2,000 degrees for 20 seconds. Yeah, you, you've got to be very trusting to use those, though, haven't well, you? Well, yeah, you're not going to be writing a review afterwards if they don't work. <laughs> the cheapest version probably isn't the thing for you. But yeah, you take your gloves and your kitchen whisk and you put, shove your whisk into the lava, suck up a piece of lava and 
drop it on the cool ground away from the other lava and you make sculptures out of the the lava they say but that ryan is pales into insignificance when you compare it to the final thing they suggested you do which is hold it in your hand wait with the gloves on with the with these special gloves they say you can hold these the, the lava for up to 20 seconds after 20 seconds your gloves will burn you're going to have lava filled gloves and you're going to have problems but yes they say you can basically lift put shove your hands under the lava and lift it up and if it's the progressive edge of the lava because the rock hasn't been in contact with the lava for long enough and it hasn't yet melted the underlying rock you can lift the leading edge of the lava with your bare hand well not your bare hands with your gloved hands wow I, i'm imagining like putting your hands in sand and just letting it fall through your fingers you can do that if the lava is pouring out of a hole which is apparently called a fire hose or you can just lift lava again with your gloves but 20 seconds is your limit otherwise you've got problems and again that is as you say very much trusting of your amazon.com purchase of cheap lava proof gloves <laughs> it's, it sounds fascinating doesn't it though there, there, do you know there is a very good scrabble word for one of the the types of lava it's called ah which is a a ah that's a type of lava yes it's called ah and there's is that what you ve- shout when you're running away from it i was i was given a, le- a lecture <laughs> when i went over a lava field once okay wait what <laughs> wait, when did you what wait when were you flying over a lava field <laughs> did you have a stick I, I was walking over it i wasn't flying over it have you poked lava with a stick no, because it dried thousands of years ago. Oh. But you can still tell the type of lava. So it's spiky or it's rope-like, and it was basically the original consistency of the lava and how it cooled. No way. And ah, from what I can remember, is quite spiky lava. So it's a very good name. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. I wonder what ooh is. <laughs> that's, that's smooth, rounded lava, obviously, just so you can hear it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether to name drop, but I probably shall. The same holiday that I walked on this lava field was uh, we were in a boat sailing around some islands. Okay. And we just crossed the equator, funnily enough, earlier on that day. And we... This is like listening to the diary of someone from the 18th century. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I asked my bearers, are we nearly there yet? (laughs) We went went to bed and then sort of at at about one o'clock in the morning, we were all knocked up uh, by the guide and said, the volcanoes erupting and so we went outside and lo and behold about five miles away there was a volcano that had just started erupting that's incredible i want to see one it, it wasn't that spectacular it was sort of the the lava was quite runny so it wasn't going up very high but you could see the lava glowing as it was coming down the mountain. Could you hear it? No, we were a bit far away, although the captain of the boat tried to get in as close as possible, which is sort of weird because we were probably the closest people on Earth to this volcano as it erupted that nobody knew was going to erupt. Be honest, Paul, did you have a stick ready? Ah, uh, it wasn't that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we were talking, obviously, about Cesaria Vora, and uh, I took the opportunity to listen to much of her works, and uh, you can see why she is so famous. She's been featured on Stamps, the uh, 2000 Escudos Banknote, which is one of the largest of the banknotes, enough to cover the cost of a meal at a restaurant, or indeed a family grocery shop. 
Uh, she has an airport named after her. Granted, it is the third largest airport on the island, but still. Uh, she has a statue at the entrance of the airport and a mural in the main terminal. Uh, she has a sea slug named after her called Ajiris Evori. <laughs> that was less predictable. Um, the airport, I could have I could have guessed, but the, the sea slug, not a sea came, slug came out of left field there, didn't it? Yeah. It, this sea slug, it's, um, it's quite unique. It, it's notable for one, eating sponges and having small needle-like spikes all over its body. So maybe this was somebody who didn't like Caesarea Evora. But does the sea slug wear shoes? <laughs> High heels, surely. <laughs> So, um, Madonna is a huge fan of Cesare Evora. sea slugs? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Madonna the singer or the slug? slug. <laughs> so she visited Cesarea backstage at several concerts. In fact, Madonna was so inspired by her music that in 2017, she moved to Lisbon in Portugal to learn more about Cabo Verdean music. And from this, she drew inspiration for several songs, which she then included in her 2019 album, Madame X, uh, which not only included the music, but featured several Cabo Verdean artists, including Cesaria Evora's longtime friend, percussionist and backing vocalist, Mikora Paris. I don't want to be critical, but it's not a better place to go if you want to study Cabo Verdean music, perhaps Cabo Verde. <laughs> <laughs> rather than she Lisbon. She could only get an easy jet flight to Lisbon, I think. It was just... <laughs> ah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, she's on a budget yeah. these days. But Cesaria Avora's perhaps highest honour is that she was made Knightess of the French Legion of Honour, which is the highest French order of merit. It's a bit like the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the United States or the OBE in the UK. It's certainly not the OBE. The OBE is a very minor thing. Oh, what is it? In, I thought that was a knighthood. Well, you, you're not a knight if you're made an OBE. It's it's it, it's a pretty low level award. I think the order of merit is the sort of the high award. Okay, I thought it was the OBE. Dang it, I've been holding out for an OBE. <laughs> <laughs> sure, one of them will come your way soon, Ryan. You won't even <laughs> yeah. get an MBE or even a BEM. Yeah, all right. Don't take all my dreams away. I'll be lucky to get my swimming certificate, let alone anything else. But yeah, so the uh, French Legion of Honour, that was originally established in 1802 by Napoleon Bonaparte. It was a means of him recognising merit rather than perpetuating a system of nobility. But, uh, you know, here we are, 200 years later, it's still being given out. And uh, I, I, I wanted to look to see what you have to do to receive the honour for, you know, a friend. And uh, you have to have 20 years of public service or 25 years of professional activity demonstrating flawless performance of one's trade. We could get it for podcasting, Ryan. We're just 17 years shy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it came with a pair of shoes. <laughs> oh, here's your medal and a pair of shoes. So there you go. Right, so on the episode, we did a comedy sketch where there's a slimy PR guy who's trying to get Amilcar Cabral to uh, exploit his image for profit, pointing out Che Guevara's famous photo as a sort of inspiration. But did you know that Amilcar Cabral did actually meet Che Guevara? 
I did not know that. That did not come up in my studies. Yeah, in the last few years before Che's death, he left Cuba and he travelled to Africa on what he called the African Dream to use his skills to help spread the revolutionary cause, which at the time in Africa was a big deal because there was lots of revolution happening in Africa during the 60s. So he travelled there uh, and he met with a number of different African revolutionary leaders from all over the continent, including Cabral. Now, there isn't much on record, obviously, about what was discussed. Uh, you know, they didn't tend to write these things down <laughs> about secret revolutionary conversations. How do you feel about revolution? Uh, I'm for it. But there is a photo of them together, which appears to show Cabral looking at Che with, I mean, this is my own opinion, but with basically awe and excitement. <laughs> I've got a t-shirt but, of this uh, guy. <laughs> but talking about Che Guevara, I was then curious to know more about that famous image, you know, the one that we talked about in the skit. And so I read up on how it came about, how about how the picture came about. And it all starts on Friday, March 4th, 1960, when a ship explodes in Havana Harbour. It kills more than a hundred workers and it injures many more, including passers-by who rush to go and give help. So the next day, a funeral takes place and present for this was Alberto Diaz Guterres, known simply as Corder. He was a photographer for the newspaper Revolution, and he was standing at the foot of the podium from which Fidel Castro, the leader at the time, was giving a speech. Now, Corder was looking through the viewfinder of his camera when suddenly, through the lens, Che Guevara stepped into view. By sheer reflex, he takes two photos, and just as quickly, Che steps back into the crowd of people. Back home, Corder develops the photos and is struck by the intensity of Che's look. So Corder crops the pictures and he sends the image with a few others over to the editor of Revolution newspaper. The editor looks at the images and decides against it. He publishes a photo of Castro instead, which disappoints Corder. So he decides that he's going to get his picture of Che Guevara and he's going to hang it up on his apartment wall instead, naming it Guilero Heroica, Heroic Guerrilla Fighter. So a few years pass and an Italian businessman, Giancomo Feltrinelli, he knocks on the door with a letter from the president of Casa delle Americas, a think tank that is set up to help export the uh, ideology of the Cuban revolution. So Feltrinelli gives Corda a letter with a, a request for a photo of Che Guevara that the think tank can use. So Corda turns around, he points to the picture on his studio wall and says, yeah, this is my favourite picture of Che. Feltrinelli falls in love with it. So Corder gives him two prints of the picture, and when asked how much it's going to cost, Corder just says, look, this is for a good cause, so they're a gift. But it turns out to be a mistake, because unknown to Corder, Feltrinelli is a businessman and heir to one of Italy's wealthiest families. <laughs> so Feltrinelli takes the prints and immediately begins selling posters of them. Millions and millions of posters. And when Gravera dies, Castro hands Feltrinelli a copy of Che's diary, which he then publishes with Corder's picture as the front cover art. All of this without any credit or mention of Corder. And so, for decades, Corder never earns a single cent from the distribution of his own photo. And even if he had wanted to be paid, Castro had declared that profiting from intellectual property was unrevolutionary anyway, and therefore had banned it across Cuba. So, Corder had to just sort of sit and watch for decades as his photo continues to just be given away for free and without any recognition. However, just before his death, Corder went to the High Court in London in a case to prevent Smirnoff from using the image in an advert for their vodka, and he wins, earning a settlement of $50,000, all of which he then donates directly to children's hospitals in Cuba. How about that? 
Keeping the revolutionary dream alive. Well done, my friend. Have you ever owned a Che Guevara t-shirt, Paul? Have I ever owned a t-shirt is a more logical question. (laughs) (laughs) And so the time has come, Peter. We've come to the end of the line. It's time for you to step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, then will the defendant please rise? Yes, sir. Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. Oh, it was okay, I suppose. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, then, may I ask for your grade for factual content? I will give it a C+. Okay, that's solid, Peter. It's almost a B. I'm nervous about this whole scenario, so I'm just going to keep quiet here. Okay. Um, (laughs) Next, Your Honour, may I have your verdict on entertainment value? Oh, do you know what was entertaining? That cutting corners bit, that was hilarious. Quiet in the dock. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think it was one of your best set of skits, to be brutally honest. But I will give you another C+. Okay, this is solid, Peter. I'm impressed. We, we haven't got to the bit where he either likes or dislikes my rather brilliant cutting corners approach. Yeah, we haven't got there yet. No, hang in there. Uh, your <laughs> Honour then, may I, may I ask for your verdict on Dursley Factor? Uh, it did pique my interest and I would like to go there. Okay, well this is looking good for you, Pete. So, may I ask for your verdict on Dursley Factor? Okay, I will give it a B-. minus. B minus. This is all. This is all very good. Okay. Well, look, we reach the final verdict. But before the judge passes his ruling, Peter, <laughs> you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, which would be very strongly advised, please make that plea now. <laughs> well, I can only imagine you're sitting there thinking to yourself, "Did he really cover the topic of cutting corners?" And I say, "Yeah, yeah, I did. That is all." Okay, well, that was certainly a plea. Uh, Your Honour, <laughs> the defendant stands before you. Have you reached a verdict? Uh, no, I haven't. I've decided oh. I've decided in the spirit of this episode to cut a corner, and for once only, I would let Ryan give the score. Oh, <laughs> oh unprecedented! <laughs> I don't know what to say or do! What do I do? What do I do? Ryan, give your score. The the power's gone to my head! Is this real? Wait, am I dreaming? Is this This real? This is happening. This is happening, Ryan. This is a one time only, it will never happen again, so there'll be no comeback if you give a low score. Oh, I feel hot under the collar. Um. Okay, Judge Weir presiding. Here is my ruling. Peter, you disappointed me this episode. I was looking for some cut corners in the early 90s, and that was not provided to me. However, I did enjoy the music you presented, the fact that you brought an interviewee 
and uh, just generally some neat facts about deserts and about magma and stuff. So I am going to give you a... <laughs> I'm sorry, Peter. I'm I'm sorry, this. To... I've changed my mind. I'm going to give a score. No! No! <laughs> no! You had to milk it, Ryan. You had to milk no! it. No! <laughs> I was trying to be dramatic. Peter, I will take the reins again. No! But Peter, I'm afraid I should give you a C plus. Yeah, that's pretty fair. And also, Ryan, ha 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 ha. Uh, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> damn it. Okay, well, look, there you go. Disappointed as I am, that is the end of the show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on the show or the judge's decision, uh, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right, and one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation really does go a long way to bringing the show to new listeners. And if you're on social media, Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even LinkedIn, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you'll get an alert every time we post any trivia, extra facts, pictures, that kind of thing. That's right. And we're going to be back again soon with our next episode, episode 73, Excrement in Scotland <laughs> during 1600 to 1650. Well, that's going to be a shit episode. but in the meantime a huge thank you to the judge himself thank you paul i'm amazed that you're so gracious (laughs) and that is it i guess all that's left to say now is you've been listening to something that did uh, pique my interest that you were talking about is when you mentioned the carnation revolution Ah, yes, this would be the revolution in Portugal, which, as a result of which, the change of government changed their policy from we will hold on to our colonies at all costs to, ah, sorry, let's just give everyone independence. Well, do you know what the signal for that revolution to start was? A horn. (laughs) (laughs) It was when the Portuguese entry started singing at the Eurovision Song Contest that year and that was that that was the signal for the military to start the revolution wait had they agreed that in advance or was it just they heard it and went let's all do it now spontaneous revolution <laughs> triggered no, by it eurovision was, it was it was it was it was agreed in advance uh, clearly <laughs> so amazing. i mean it's a, it's disappointing if you're a eurovision fan though and you're in the army or whatever and now suddenly you've got to not watch because you've got to go do a revolution it's disappointing if you're a eurovision fan full stop <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear you being a judge on Eurovision. That would be amazing. That's, that, <laughs> that is not going to happen on both sides. I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't be asked. I don't like this. No poire. <laughs> well, there you go. How about that? Eurovision started a revolution. Revolution of pop. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me.